So today we're starting our new uh, fall sermon series and we're talking about hospitality. And our scripture passage for this morning is from the first chapter of Genesis, the first creation story, the very end of that first creation story. I want to uh, read the passage to you. And as I read it, would you listen for the words that God says? So we're going to start. I start with verse 26 and go through 31. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image and the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over everything that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So if you hear nothing else this morning than that very last verse of scripture that I read, uh, you're in a good place. What I want you to hear is that at the end of the creating process, The creator says that all of creation is very good. Throughout this Bible story, as God has been creating, God says this is good. And at the end of creation, when everything is created, God says this is mightily good. This is exceedingly good. I heard author Shauna Nequist this week talk about her practice of orientation every morning. Just a few minutes outside in silence, she said, usually over coffee. She recognizes that regardless of what happens during the day, regardless of what she gets done, regardless of what happens during the day, she understands in those few minutes that she is loved. And it is an understanding that I believe this creation story puts in front of us. I am, you are, the rest of humanity, the animals, the plants, the sky, the water, the land, all of creation, exceedingly good without the grasping. In fact, it's the grasping that gets humanity into trouble in chapters 2 and 3 in Genesis and basically the whole rest of the Bible. My husband Keith has a good friend that he has had since childhood. His name's Mark. And in recent years, Mark and Keith have done things together with their children, with our children. The last time that I was with Mark and Keith and our kids, Mark leaned over to me and said, so what's the deal with little Keith over there? (laughs) Referring to Daniel, my son. Daniel and Keith do have the same interests. They kind of look alike. 
They walk alike. I'm not exactly sure how this happened because I remember being part of the process. But in our house, Daniel surely does reflect the image of the father. In the ancient Near East, it was the king who reflected the image of God to the culture that surrounded the king. So in this first creation story in Genesis, there is a claim that would have been a new, unusual, radical claim to the culture that surrounded. And I think it's worth us remembering today. The claim is that we are all created in the image of God. Not just the best of us. Not just the kings among us, not just the blessed among us, but every person is to reflect God's image. It's the most basic intent behind God's creation of humanity that we mirror the divine. So there is, I believe, a right way and a wrong way to work when describing the similarities between the creator and the image. The wrong way to work is to somehow start with me and say, this is who I am. This is what I look like. So this is who God is. It's easy to do this, and it's good to be on the lookout for this tendency. I'm willing to bet if we were to go on a search of this church building, it wouldn't be long before we would find a picture of a white Jesus with blue eyes. Yet we know that this particular version of Jesus would have been a really strange oddity in the first century Middle East. So often we claim that who God is, who Jesus is, is who we are when the right direction is to work is the other way. Ellen DeGeneres sometimes has this segment on her show that she calls bad paid for photos. Have you ever seen that segment on her show where a professional portrait, usually taken in the 1980s or the 1990s, is blown up to poster size and then it's revealed on stage and Ellen's response usually goes something along the lines of, wow, you paid for that? (laughs) That's really bad. I have this image of the divine council sitting together in heavenly court revealing these images that we sometimes express with our lives, like there are glamour shots, and God saying, oh, well, that's something. That They did that on purpose with good intentions, but that's not at all what I look like. That's not my image at all. It's always best to start with God rather than who I am and consider the qualities that I can grow into. It's wise to look at this passage in Genesis and ask the question, how is God described? What are the qualities that are described in this passage that I can grow into? And there are a few things that I see. The first is that in the act of creating humanity, there is Uh, conversation or discussion that seems to take place among the Godhead. It really is kind of odd and strange. It happens in verse 26. Verse 26 says this. God says, let us make 
humankind in our image, according to our likeness? And I want to ask the question, who's the our? Who's the us? There are different teachings on this. Some say this is a divine council or it's a heavenly court, like is mentioned in the Old Testament book of Job and in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. But others teach that this plural form of God is, in fact, God speaking to wisdom or could be God and the word, capital W, remember the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So while we don't get a clear picture of what's going on with this hour in Genesis, it does appear to me that it's important for us to notice that there's relationship among the Godhead. That keeps me mindful of the importance of connection. All over this story, there is relationship and connection and honoring from the creator to the creation and then among the creator as well, which reminds me that no man, no woman, no person who's created in the image of God would be a lone ranger, would be independent or self-sufficient, an island. Father Richard Rohr in his daily devotional this week was writing about uh, the Trinity and in his description of um, the theology of the Trinity and the history of the Trinity, he wrote this about relationship. He said, the greatest dis-ease facing humanity right now is our profound and our painful sense of disconnection. We feel disconnected from God, but we also feel disconnected from ourselves, from each other, from the world. He goes on to say, with the endless diversity in creation... It is clear that God is not obsessed with uniformity. God doesn't desire uniformity, but God desires unity. Unity is diversity embraced by an infinitely generous love. That's what we want. We're not looking for cookie-cutter images of God, cookie-cutter Christians. But instead, we're looking to see God in one another in spite of our differences and even in our differences as we graciously accept one another with generous love. Genesis 1, in all probability, stands as a refute to the creation story that the Babylonians told. This creation story in Genesis was written during the exile that the Israel, when the Israelites were taken into captivity in Babylon. And so the, here's the creation story that the Babylonians told. They said that the world was created in a vengeful, brutal battle that elevated the god Marduk to chief god. So that's the story that was being told around them. And the Israelites said, no, that's not the story, our creation story at all. Listen to our creation. What we know to be true about the creation of our world is that God graciously made a place for all of creation, for humanity included. Creation in in Genesis 1 is voluntary. 
creation in Genesis 1 is deliberate, and creation in Genesis 1 is even sacrificial. In the 16th century, there was a rabbi who used the word contraction when he taught about the creation process. He said that in order to allow for conceptual space, God's first act in creation was to contract his infinite light. You know how it starts. In the beginning, in the beginning, God, right? God is there in the beginning. So the very first step of creation is for God to step back. For God to allow space so that creation could come forth. The potential for a new creation comes in the movement to limit self, to give space for another. So I get this. Just in my own experiences as a friend, as a parent, as a wife, in order to be in relationship with another, I have to limit. It can't be all about me. I can't go to breakfast with my friend and sit and talk the whole time about what's going on in my life and not leave a space for my friend. I can't make all the activities of my house be about my interests or my work or my agenda. What my parents used to say to me, I bet your parents said to you too, the world doesn't revolve around you, right? Yeah. When Tony Jones writes about this concept of contraction in creation, he talks about going to a dinner party where one person sucks all the air out of the room. It seems like we probably have all been in that situation. A person's ego is so big that no one else can start a conversation Healthy conversation exists in that space where there's back and forth. And that means that sometimes we have to bite our tongue. We have to limit what we're going to say. We have to let someone else have the floor so that another person can flourish. So that another person can tell and live out their story. This is what's going on in the first creation story. God is self-limiting so that the creation may flourish. Well, maybe it speaks to my desire to control, but I am surprised when I read this creation story that God doesn't create in these images of God servants or robots, but God instead creates agents. The creation is not overpowered by the creator. Walter Brueggemann, when he's writing about, he's an Old Testament scholar, and when he's writing about Genesis, he says, the creator causes the creature to be and then lets it be. There's some freedom there. Verse 28 says, God says, see, I have given you every plant, every tree, every beast, every bird, and the command, this is the very first command in the Bible, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. You rule over it. The implication is that to have dominion over the earth means that we master the earth, we rule the earth, we shepherd the earth similarly to the way that God does in life-giving ways, ways that bring forth fruit. 
So I think that in this text, there's an invitation that people sometimes miss. And the invitation is, you master, you rule over creation. You continue the creating process that I've already started. You shepherd as I shepherd. It is in verse 28, there's a word in the English translation that throws me off. I think I read it this morning. It's in the NIV and it's in the NRSV. It's the word subdue. And I think it throws me off because it's an attractive word. Like, I know how to subdue. I know how to step on other people. I know how to run my agenda and put my self-interests forward. So the NIV and the NRSV say subdue, but the Jewish study Bible uses the word master. Be the master of creation. And the voice, which is not a direct translation, but is instead kind of tells the themes of the Bible. God says this. Those of you who are in the image of God, I make you the trustees of my estate. Run this estate the way that I have. So we're not talking about defeat. We're not talking about overwhelming. We're not talking about suppressing the earth. This week in pastor's meeting, Matt Scott taught me through a question that he asked. He asked me, how do you react when your space is invaded by another part of creation? And here's what we were talking about. The butterflies. (laughs) Did you see the butterflies this week? They invaded my space. Now, I'm not an entomologist, so I can't stand up here and tell you the right way to react to that. But I want to pose the question, how did you react? How did you react when another part of creation invaded your space? Were you interested? Were you irritated? When we talk about hospitality for the next few weeks and consider how we can better practice hospitality, I think it's important that we consider How are the ways that we can pull ourselves back to make a space for other people? I think over the course of my lifetime about the people who have done this for me, and I am so very thankful for my parents, for my friends, for my teachers, for employers, for this very church. When I graduated from college, it was time for me to get my first full-time job. I changed my plans really quickly. I was going to graduate school, and six weeks before it was time for me to go, I had my scholarship, I had my dorm room and everything. I decided I was getting married, so I had to get a job. And um, this is what I took to the job market. I have a degree in sociology, and I can work for you for 18 months. (laughs) Yeah, there weren't a lot of people who were interested in that. I ended up landing my first job with a family friend, a family friend who ran a business that was a nonprofit business, and he pulled out a desk from the storage, and he made a place for me, and it was that place that he made for me for 18 months, and the confidence that he had in me that blessed me and grew me uh, tremendously during those two years. So I can't stand up here and tell you what, where you are being invited to make a space. You'll have to discern that over the next few weeks with prayer and consideration.
But I want you to know that it is this creation story makes that invitation to you and to me. Where can you continue? Where can you make a space to continue God's creation process? Where can you allow creation to flourish? This summer we were um, preparing for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and I was given the task of tallying the RSVPs for the dinner party. And I learned during those few weeks how to be a better guest, a gracious guest. I was so thankful for the people who immediately called to give me their RSVP. Even if it was no, that was okay. At least I knew, right? It was the people who didn't ever call me uh, that irritated me or called me the day before the party. But I got this really, this one response that was really quite funny. It was two days before the party, and it was a voicemail. So they called my cell phone, and they left this voicemail. Thank you for the invitation to your parents' 50th anniversary. We might be there. Might? (laughs) We're not sure. Maybe is our response. It was a voicemail, so I couldn't talk to him. But what I wanted to say back to him was, it's okay if you say no. You can say no. No helps me too. And that's what I want you to know this morning as we consider this invitation that God puts out in the first chapter of creation. I want you to understand that no is a good answer. If your answer to the invitation of continuing in the creation process is no, that's all right. That just tells me that we are supposed to prepare a space for you to flourish here. But if your answer is yes, and I suspect that for many of you, your answer is yes, then I'm excited, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Would you pray with me? Almighty and freedom-loving God, we bless you and we thank you this day for a good creation. We thank you for the space that is intended to be a place not only where we are sustained, but where we are nourished and where we are strengthened. You desire for us to grow and to thrive. May we have the same desire for others. Help us to prepare a place, a place that notices need and seeks to understand and enrich all the lives we encounter. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.